You're listening to the Beyond the States podcast with Jen Vimont. Did you know that you can go to Europe and get your entire degree taught in English for less than one year of tuition at many American schools? Jen will take you on a deep dive into the many benefits and options around English-taught higher education in Europe, helping to make the possibility less foreign. So today we're going to be talking to Andrew. He's a graduate from an Austrian University of Applied Science, where he got his master's degree. He's now working for Deloitte back here in the U.S. So this is a type of school that's common in Europe, but unlike anything we have here in the U.S., so I thought it might be helpful to discuss the different types of universities in Europe. So first, there are the research universities. There are research universities in every country across Europe. And since global rankings are based 100% on research-related criteria, these are the ones that show up in the rankings because, of course, the focus is on research. At the bachelor's level, these programs are more about preparing students for their master's degree programs than for employment. And generally speaking, you're going to hear me say generally speaking a lot today, career services at these universities are more focused on the master's degree students. So programs at these schools concentrate on theory as well as research-related knowledge and skills. So students take classes like stats and research methodology type courses. And, and pretty much every year, I mean, there's, it's heavily focused on research-related skills and knowledge. So then there are universities of applied science. And these are full bachelor's and master's degree programs, but they're focused on practical knowledge rather than theory and research. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say rather than theory and research. I should say rather than the research-heavy focus. It's definitely more practical and, and hands-on. So in some countries, there's sort of a little bit of academic snobbery around this type of program. And in other countries, they're just seen as something that's different instead of labeling it as better or worse. And in some countries, the government sees this type of education as valuable and funds accordingly. Further, accreditation of universities of applied science in some countries look at employability. Partially because of this, these type of schools work together with businesses to determine what skills and knowledge are needed in the field, and they work together on program development. So this is really a win-win type of relationship because then employers have a pool of students with the skills and knowledge that they're looking for because they help develop the program to, to give them those skills, and it helps students find employment as well. I personally would not hesitate to send either of my kids to universities of applied science in the Netherlands, Finland, and Austria. I mean, there are also great individual universities of applied science in other countries, but in terms of sort of countrywide quality, I do like those the best. So, of course, there are also specialized schools. You know, there are business schools, there are hospitality schools, there are art schools, fashion schools, and the like. This is a strong choice for business school students in particular because you sort of get the strengths of both types of programs, you know, of both the practical knowledge and the theory and research. And also, um, these specialized business schools often have industry ties that can really help with, with employment. Generally speaking, I've found arts and design schools to be hard to navigate and really sort of lacking in international student resources. I often advise students interested in the arts to look at programs at the universities of applied sciences. Some universities of applied sciences have strong arts departments, and since the departments, which they call faculty in Europe, but I'll just call them departments here because you're probably Americans listening. Anyway, since each of these art departments 
uh, well, each of the departments as a whole, they're very self-contained. It's like going to an art school, but you have the benefits of the infrastructure and the resources of a larger university. So let's go back about how to choose whether you want to pursue a research university or a university of applied science. Field of study is the first thing to look at. It, it might really just make the decision for you. If you want to study something like philosophy, you're going to be at a research university because you can't really teach a practical, hands-on approach to philosophy. If you're going to study something like graphic design or physiotherapy, you'll usually be at a university of applied science because you have to have the hands-on approach and practical skills. Now, there are some subjects that are going to be taught at both, but with different approaches or specializations. Uh, business, engineering, some areas of computer science, those, those are types of programs that you'll find both at research universities and at universities of applied sciences. In more cases than not, though, your area of study is going to be taught at one or another, in, except for those fields of study. Admissions is the next thing to look at. In the Netherlands, bachelors at the universities of applied science are four years in duration, and research universities are three years in duration. And this is just because of how the Dutch education system before university is structured. But it means that research universities require AP scores, an IB diploma, or a year of college credit, and universities of applied science don't have that requirement. So that's if you're interested in one of those overlap areas and you don't have the AP scores, that can make the decision for you there. Also regarding master's degrees, a lot of the master's best fit lists that I work on for students, um, when they got their bachelor's degree in the US, you don't necessarily have the research related skills or, or requirements really. You know, there aren't a whole lot of requirements around research related classes. So a lot of students don't have the research related classes that they need to get a master's degree at a research university. So if that's the case for you and you're looking for an area with those overlap areas, University of Applied Science could be something to look at there. Okay, so let's say you want to study something that's taught at both and you meet the admissions criteria for both. What, what should you think about then? Well, one thing to think about is, is how you like to learn. Uh, some people get really excited about research, whether it's reading the research of others or doing research themselves. And some people find that really boring. There's no right or wrong answer here. It's just about knowing what you like the most. Theory is going to be in present in both types of university. It's, it's just that in research universities, it's about applying the theories to research. While universities of applied science, it's about applying the theories to the field. The next thing to look about, look about, <laughs> the next thing to look at are your goals. So if you want to pursue a PhD, or if you want to pursue a master's at a research university in Europe, a research university is probably the way to go for your bachelor's. As we talked about before, this is because those research course related requirements for master's degree programs aren't part of the graduation requirements for universities of applied science. Now, these research related requirements aren't usually prereqs in the U.S., so you'd still be okay to apply to grad school in the U.S. from a University of Applied Science. And you can still go to a research university in Europe after you take these um, bridge courses, the ones that weren't part of your degree before, like stats or quantitative methods and, and things like that. So talked about how you like to get taught. 
uh, or how you like to learn, I should say. Uh, we talked about goals. Uh, the other goal is if you know you want to work directly after your bachelor's degree, before or instead of getting a master's, then a University of Applied Science might be a better route to take. You're going to have the hands-on experience then and often the career services that you that you need to sort of launch your career. And again, you know, we're, we're talking about just the two choices right now, Universities of Applied Science or research universities, but there are some of those specialized um, universities to consider as well if your area of study is something that has specialized schools. Certainly if you want to study, you know, international relations, there aren't specialized schools for that. So I want to say, though, that when there's a system that's so different to the ones that we're accustomed to, it can be hard to wrap our heads around. Um, so we we go at it with the frame of reference that we that we use here. And so we might think that a research university is better because it's globally ranked or because the admissions requirements at some are more stringent. And I don't think there's one universal definition of better when it comes to education. It's about something being a better fit to you. You know, in order to know what's better for you, it's important to have or, or to gain in, into your goals, whether those are just your, you know, short-term educational goals or your professional goals, and to really know how and what you want to learn. And from there, you can determine the best route for you. There's not just one best route. So anyway, I'm excited for you to hear about um, Andrew's experience in Austria. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with Andrew. I'm Tati. I'm from Atlanta and I'm in my third year of study at Hans University in the Netherlands. And I found my university through my Beyond the States membership. I'd been interested in studying in Europe before I joined Beyond the States, but the research my mom and I did on our own often resulted in misinformation or information that didn't apply to me as a native English speaker from an American high school. Nobody at my high school knew how to advise me either. With the help of the BTS database and membership resources, I was able to explore my different options and get advice from Jen about admission strategies. Membership includes more these days than when I was a member. The private member Facebook group includes students and families at all stages of the process. When students go to Europe, we and our parents can stay in the group. Not only does this mean we can answer questions from members who are exploring, but we can get information and resources during our study. My mom is still in the group and has found it helpful, especially connecting with other parents during the height of COVID. If you're interested in studying Europe, I suggest that you join Beyond the States for at least a month. I don't think you'll regret it at all. Check the show notes for details and a link or visit the services page at beyondthestates.com. So today I'm talking to Andrew Smith. He's originally from New Hampshire. I uh, got his bachelor's degree from Bentley University in Global Studies and then went on to uh, study at Wiener Neustadt. See if I didn't mangle that enough. Uh, University of Applied Science in Vienna and in Vienna, in Austria, where he got his master's in business consultancy. Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. So can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to get your master's degree outside of the U.S.? Yeah, so I suppose it was kind of a, a two-part um, reason is first, uh, I'd always wanted to get my master's. Um, I'm the first in my family to go to college. And that was something I knew I needed to get for my career goals and where I wanted to be. I was also looking to make a slight career change to get more technical and um, from a down a finance perspective. Um, and then, so that's why I want to get my master's. But then why Austria? I get that question a lot. I had had some friends in Austria 
um, that I had met when they studied abroad um, when I was at Bentley University. So I, I had friends there. So I had somewhat of a network um, and I had visited them there before. So that helped because being able to research schools and programs, it's hard to get a feel if you're not a local to know what programs are good. Um, so being able to know through word of mouth and have people tell me the, from their perspective, actual locals, actual Austrians, uh, was a big help. And then, you know, I could start off with a few friends. So that's why I ultimately ended up deciding on Austria. So did you, did you study abroad in college? Yeah, I spent, uh, the summer of 2016, I believe going into my senior year, I spent the summer in Ireland, uh, where I had an internship and as well as I took classes. Nice. This, my daughter's planning on getting her bachelor's in Ireland. I just went there for the first time. It's awesome. Great country. Yeah, I was at um, I was at University College Dublin. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It was, nice. it was cool. uh, so, did you get like the travel bug then? So, so let me back up for a minute. So, you graduate, you do your study abroad, you finish your bachelor's, and then you work for a couple of years. Is that correct? Yeah. When I finished my bachelor's, I was pretty fed up with school. Um, I was someone, I've always been a a great student. I I always enjoyed learning, but when you do it, you know, for that point, geez, 16 years straight, I wanted to work. And so I thought that was great because, um, that's something I would would recommend to a lot of people. Um, because I was able to, I graduated, get a break from doing school, Mm -hmm. gain some real world practical experience. And then through that working, I was able to get a better feel for what I, where I wanted to take my career, which is then why I, you know, went to get my master's. And then also it gave me much more of an appreciation when I was going to get my master's because I knew like what saying what's at stake sounds dramatic, but I, I knew what very tangibly what this master's could lead to, what type of jobs. I had experiences I could build off and reference in class. And also having that break from being in a classroom setting made me more appreciate that type of learning. And I I felt more energized um, going back into the classroom than when I had graduated in 2017 with my bachelor's. I totally agree. I took a couple of years in between my bachelor's and master's, and it seemed a lot more relevant than when I was studying it. Exactly. Abstract. Uh, So... One obstacle that master's degree students often have that less of the bachelor's students we work with have is, is, you know, often students have more help from their family financially for bachelor's degrees. And then it's like, you know, graduate degrees are on your own. So were you working while you were studying or what was the tuition like there? um, I think in total, I paid probably... um, Throughout the course of the two-year program, let's say between maybe $2,500 and $3,000 USD based off which exchange rate you use at whatever time. Um, Isn't that crazy? Let's just, that's for international student tuition. Yeah. It's just in, And this is not one of the countries where, you know, it's, it's uh, free for international students, but $2,500 to $3,000 for two years for tuition. Yeah. So what um the way it works um, at, at FHBNNoishdot particularly is what they do at other schools in Austria they'll, they'll charge a higher rate if you're a third country national so you're not an EU um, citizen but what um, FHBNNoishdot did is they wanted people from you know regardless of your country to have the same opportunity so even me as a US citizen um, was paying the same tuition as an Austrian um, resident and that mostly has to do with Schools that are outside of Vienna get a little bit more funding from their state governments. Um, so from the state government of Lower Austria. So that, that was a great, um, that I was, that was able to take advantage of. But even if I, I had to pay that higher tuition, 
it, it would have been nothing compared to what a U.S. master's program would have been. Um, I mean, just to give some perspective, my undergrad was probably between, I mean, it rose every year when I was there, but around like average out to maybe $56,000 a year. And then <laughs> master's 2500 um, So yeah, I would say it was a great financial decision um, by me. And, and the thing is, is with a tuition like that, you can certainly save up, you know, $3,000 for tuition. That's, that's something that's achievable without going into debt. And then you just need to worry about getting proof of means for your visa and, and living expenses. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a good point. So yeah, back to your original question about me working. Um, I had had this thought in my mind for a while. So I saved up while I was working full time in the U.S., um, so I had quite a bit of savings that I knew I could get me through the two years. I wasn't going to take that leap into another country. Um, and my parents certainly would have helped me out, but I didn't want to have to rely on them. And then because of my needing a residence permit in order to work, and then even if you do have a residence permit, um, right, if you're a third country national, you need one, um, a, in Austria, employers need to like sign off, kind of sponsor you, not fully sponsor, but they just need to submit a paper to the local employment authorities. Um, and there's also some restrictions on how much you can work per month. It's very complicated, classic Austria with all their rules um, and bureaucracy. But I did work for um, a few months at the end of 2020. Um, and then when things were getting locked down pretty bad, I returned to the US. But yeah, I was able to find a job there. That was pretty relevant and has helped me um, my job today. That was just like, you know, some nice like supplemental income, but the cost of living was, um, was is lower than over in, in Boston where I'm from, um, or the Boston area. So it was, I was able to just get by, um, on my savings just with some smart financial planning before I moved abroad. You reminded me of this story unrelated to this topic, but related to Austria. I, I, uh, visited schools in Austria a few years ago and I took my daughter with me who was at that time maybe 14, 15. And uh, so I would go to meetings and then she would go back to school and do her, uh, go back to our Airbnb and do her schoolwork. And I, I definitely like my kids to, my son's 20, my daughter's 17. Now I like them to get comfortable internationally and know that they can get around and it's, you know, gain those independent living skills. So I would put her you know, wherever we went, you know, put her on a train, go back to the Airbnb, you know, we'd go through, how do you know when it's your stuff, all that. Well, what we didn't realize is that in Austria, you need to validate your train ticket before you get yep. on. Yeah. And so she had her train ticket, but she hadn't validated it, which is just like kind of a put under a scanner type thing yeah. before you get on the train. And so these guys get on the train, plain clothes, and I'm not with her. I'm at my meeting. <laughs> plain clothes guys get on and they start checking tickets and they check hers. And of course, it wasn't validated. And they pull her off the train and tell her she has to pay a hundred euros. She's sobbing, trying to get a hold of me. She did get a hold of me. And what they said to her is they said, she's like, I didn't know. I didn't know. She's like my rule follower child. They said, in Austria, we have rules. Yeah. <laughs> You're a, they certainly do. They don't need to make sense, but if rules are rules and you got to follow them. Um, and yeah, the, the train ticket. Yeah. They're like undercover. It's, right. it's, it's, it's kind of wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, she got out of it. Finally, I, I guess the trick is to look like a young teenage girl and, and cry your eyes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't have that luxury, but thankfully I never ran into any, uh, yeah. Any of those situations on the train. Yeah. So note to anyone listening, you go to Austria, get your train ticket validated. 
Yeah, yeah. Word to the wise. <laughs> that's that's where having like those friends and you know meeting locals learn those little like tricky parts of local customs that you're not going to read. There's no pamphlet at the airport when you get there. You just right. kind of, you just learn it as you're there. Right, right. There's no sign that says validate your ticket in any language. You know, you just yeah. have to to learn. Okay, sorry. That was just when you said rules that just reminded me of that story that traumatized her. <laughs> but taught her some important lessons. So, so you said you're from the Boston area. Mm-hmm. I've been to Wiener Neustadt. Gosh, I just can't say it. Um, I've been there, and it's it's definitely a small town. How was that adjustment for you? I thought it was fine. So I, I lived in Vienna. I would commute in, um, but it was, uh, so I'm, I'm from New Hampshire, which is like 30 minutes north of Boston. Um, but I lived in Boston uh, right around there when I was in college and afterwards. So I think Wiener Neustadt's like 30,000 people, which mm-hmm. is the size of the town I grew up in. Now I didn't spend a whole uh, lot of time there. Most of my time was in Vienna since I lived there. That adjustment was I kind of, right, just like anything living abroad, there's things that I, I didn't like versus where I grew up and where I'm from, and there's things I like better. Public transportation, love that. Public transportation is terrible in Boston, amazing in Austria. That's something I, I still miss, the food. I miss aspects of that. Not everything's filled with, like, awful chemicals there in the mm-hmm. U.S. This is great. But, yeah, I, did, I think it was too much of an adjustment. I, I traveled before um, for work and, and personal stuff, and I've always, I guess, been a little more, like, culturally open-minded when it comes to just being in cities knowing hey this is different i'm not expecting everything to be like home that's right. how it works um so yeah i just i just took it as it was i suppose uh it, it, it wasn't too bad though but they, there's also like if you look at some um some research of how people are personality wise and austria and the u.s aren't that different they are but it's still like a western european country and there's how people tend their frame of minds is still is somewhat similar. So it wasn't like this crazy culture shock. I like what you said about being culturally open-minded. We just, um, we just got back from living in Portugal for two years. Oh, nice. And, and I think the biggest thing for us was when we experienced these differences, not to view them as better or worse. They're just different. And it doesn't have to be, one doesn't have to be better than the other or worse than the other. It's just a difference. Exactly. Yeah. And it can open your mind to, to new things. Like, for example, um, I I love the, the sense of community that you see in a lot of Austrian like towns and villages because of the, the hot plots. It's not so the way the U.S. is in a lot of suburban communities, how it's built depending on the automobile. It doesn't feel as like close and tight knit and connected. So, for example, when we would get off our classes on Thursday or Friday evening, we'd go to the to the hot plots, the little town square, and have a beer or two. And there's kids playing on the playground nearby, and there's you know old people having espressos and people having ice cream, and it just feels like the whole town's in the square. And I thought that was so cool, and I really wish that's something I could see more in the U.S. because it, it just yeah it gave the sense of like vibrance and community that I just hadn't seen before, and it was like okay, this is something different. And, but I, I really enjoyed it. I, I tell students that a lot because um, sometimes they'll come to me, even students who have traveled a lot and say they want to live in a big city. They want to go to a university in a big city. And, and I, I try to explain how smaller towns and smaller cities in Europe are so different than smaller towns in the U.S. And part of it's that community, part of it's the public transportation that, that you can really get anywhere you need to go. But it's, it's definitely not 
as isolated as the smaller towns yeah. in the U.S. No, definitely not. Especially with their, their how high quality their their transportation network is, like with the trains. I mean, door to door. I think my commute in Vienna. I I kind of lived on the other side of the Danube, so I had like the longest commute out of anyone mm-hmm. in my program. But um, it was an hour and a half, which sounds bad, but the trains are so nice that I I was able to just do all my work and homework. So yeah, it's an hour and a half. By the time I would get back to my flat, I had no work to do, or I'd be able to get studying in or prep for a class. So I was just efficient. And I thought that was great as opposed to maybe if I was doing that in the U S I'd have to drive. And Mm -hmm. obviously it's not safe to like do homework and drive. Um, So yeah, I was able to be more efficient. That was something I really enjoyed as well. That's cool. So can you tell us a little bit about your master's degree program? You know, what did you study? What was yeah. the structure of the program? Yeah, so our program was, um, so as I said, uh, there's the Business Consultancy International program, and then there's um, the specialization I was in, and that was Treasury and Investment. So there were some courses that both the Treasury and Investment and Marketing Analytics students were in. Um, those would be more broad like consulting skills courses or economics. And then there's most of our courses that were for our specialization. So those would be things like um, equity analysis, uh, fixed income, um, derivatives, uh, advanced corporate finance, stuff like that. So the, the real, I'd say bulk of our courses, it was a lot of like equity analysis, like how to evaluate companies, um, a lot of work with fixed income, options and derivatives, and then the corporate finance part, that's kind of more treasury and investment. Um, so I guess, which is how some students in our program were, it's kind of, do you want to go more like the investment banking type route or the more corporate finance treasury type route or consulting like me? And then I couldn't speak too much to like the marketing analytics and what they did. Um, but I thought it was for the money I paid, certainly pretty high value. Um, I went to Bentley University for my undergrad, which is, which is a pretty good business school um, in, in the Boston area. And it was fairly comparable, I'd say, especially in some courses. I, I had some great professors. Um, so certainly uh, I'll give them credit. I know our econometrics course, our statistics courses were, were awesome. It totally took my, my skill set and those subjects to another level um, to the point now where I'm at Deloitte. You know, I was able to kind of show off a little bit when I interviewed to be on the project that I'm on now. And I, I thought it was pretty high quality, um, if I'm being honest. Also, um, I know F. Javier and Neustadt has several Bloomberg terminals um, that were, which are pretty expensive, but that's something great that we were able to make use of and, and get used to using that, that software. Um, and you don't see that at, at a lot of um, public universities um, in Austria. Um, that was something you know that that made them stand out. But yeah, overall, it was, it was a good program. Um, and yeah, as, as I mentioned, the focus was kind of there's the equity analysis part and then and corporate finance. And it did a good job of the technicality and, and skills. Um, they're more hard skills, which is something I wanted to learn. I, we learning advanced Excel, um, we learned how to program in R, which was something that, that was great. Um, and it's something that I've talked about on my resume multiple times since then. So being able to have those skills, I've, I, I know I've noticed a very tangible impact from, from my courses. I'll tell you, it was like you were just speaking a foreign language, but I'm sure that our <laughs> listeners who know what business and finance are totally understand what, what you're talking about. But um, did, did you have an internship? When I was there, I interned at a, a small boutique consulting firm um, that did like profitability and finance consulting for 
uh, startups and smaller companies in the Austria and Germany region. Yeah, it, prior to that, so the summer of 2020, um, I interned with Deloitte and that it was, it was actually supposed to be an 11 week internship. So 2020 was a summer of COVID, got shortened to a two week virtual internship, um, which I, I was pretty bummed out about because I was supposed to be traveling around and I also didn't make nearly as much money because it was only two weeks supposed to allow them. Um, but a, a benefit of that was that they automatically extended full-time offers to everyone. Oh, nice. Yeah. So hence my position now. And yeah, so I think it, it, it directly tied into that. Um, and I'm sure you'll probably want to touch on this later, but based studying in Austria was such a, a con- it was a conversation point in every interview I was in. I even a partner for Deloitte commented saying how interesting my resume was because of the international experiences I've, I've had in Ireland and Singapore and, and Austria. And, and not that, you know, I, I don't think I had the best resume. I, I had a decent resume, but I, I certainly know people, um, you know, in my, in my network who, who have accomplished more, but it was interesting. And that was the thing I noticed was I heard the word interesting a lot and coming from, for most Americans who don't study abroad, or maybe they, they did do a semester, but to actually live and work and study in another country, it's just interesting. So it kind of, as I said, I'm good with interviews. You just got to get me on the phone. Like I've been rejected from countless places, but once I get to the interview, I do pretty well. And it just made my resume stand out enough to say, hey, this guy looks interesting. Let's give him a call, see what he has to say. And then from there, it's in my hands. I, I think it's a little bit of a myth that a lot of people my age think. I'll, I'll often hear parents say, well, if an employer hasn't heard of the university, why would they give the kid an interview? And, and I think you're stand, like you said, you're standing out. They have a pile of things that look pretty much the same. And here's something that's, that's different and interesting. I also wonder, I was talking to somebody recently who's done research on the employability of students with international experiences. And she was talking about the skills that students gain through studying abroad, the, the unrelated to your work, you know, unrelated to your technical skills, but things like adaptability and working in teams with different types of people and all sorts of um, the skills you gain from that experience. And I'm wondering if you see that you gained any of those skills and if so, how you were able to present them to employers so they knew you had them. Oh, absolutely. I think working on working with people from a diverse uh, set of backgrounds um, is something that's that's huge, especially in today's environment where so many companies want to focus on diversity and inclusion. I think that's something where if you're looking at I, I've never met somebody close minded who's like had the travel bug and stayed abroad. It's it's kind of like you can't um, or you'll have a really miserable time. So you kind of know you're going to get someone say, all right, he, he, they're accepting of other people and they can they know how to function in comfortable situations. Obviously, going into a culture right and speak the language right away was certainly uncomfortable in positions. Critical thinking, I guess, yeah, maybe you mess something up. You don't get a train ticket validated. Um, how do I solve this situation? But I think I th- I'd say the top two are probably, yeah, adaptability and being able to work when uncomfortable and then working with people um, of a diverse set of backgrounds and be accommodating of that, especially where now we've, we've moved to such a virtual work environment and working with people from, from all across the globe. I've certainly honed my skills at little things like maybe speaking clear English, slowing things down, how 
to tailor email correspondence and presentations towards people where English is their second language. Um, and just maybe it's giving them materials ahead of time or just little things like that can go a long way. Um, and that's is certainly where things tend to be going with how globalized work has gotten. And maybe, and maybe that's something that people, again, my age, um, don't see as much firsthand is how globalized companies have, have become. Um, would you say in your, in, tell us a little bit about your position and whether you're seeing globalization yeah. in that. Yeah. So um, I guess, so I can say, so previous, since it's relevant, my previous role before I moved to get my master's, I, I worked for a firm that was literally called Globalization Partners. And we um, helped, had helped U.S. companies, mostly U.S., um, hire individuals overseas and expand their presence overseas. Super interesting company. And that was was crucial because on a regular day, I would be talking with people from, be it clients or who my people who my clients were hiring, people from Germany, France, Singapore, like an, I don't know, at least I'd say five different countries on a daily basis. So you need, yeah, I would say cultural understanding um, to work in that. And then my role now, um, Deloitte does have a, a large offshore presence in India. And then there's also our clients who may have people coming from wherever um, their, their business needs um, or just from whatever walk of life. And I think it, yeah, it is important. We're just, that was something we covered in training where we were taught, you know, you're going to have to deal with people that English is not their first language or maybe it's their third. And so they were talking about what to do. And that was, I felt like, oh, I've been doing this for years. You could have taught it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I I think, I think it's super valuable. And also being able to have that experience of um, if someone's from, it's a nice like little icebreaker, a talking point, where if someone's like from Germany and you can strike up a conversation or or wherever. And now you've created that, you've started to build a little rapport with a client or a coworker. And that helps you stand out because you're not just, you know, some American that never left their state. Um, it's, oh, okay, this guy, he's, he's been around. He, he knows a couple of words of German. He, he likes schnitzel. Like, he's, he's not a right. <laughs> Well, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and here's somebody who's curious about the world or curious about my culture or neighboring cultures or other cultures just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deloitte, I mean, everybody knows Deloitte, even me, and I don't know much about business, the business world at all. And the major business programs in Europe, you often see them as, as a major recruiter. So they clearly are seeing some, some value in, in a global yeah, employee I, field. <laughs> yeah, I know there were definitely, um, there were several people in like my incoming cohort who came from uh, European universities or maybe some Asian universities. And I think that's why I think, um, I mean, the firm has echoed to us numerous times about their efforts towards diversity and inclusion. And I think a part of that, you know, think things like skin color, religion, gender, all that is that that's one part of it. But another part is diversity of backgrounds and experiences. And it's right. If you have, if you only hire from, let's say 10 universities, regardless of skin color or whatever, are you really that diverse? Whereas opposed to reaching out to people who've come from whatever experiences they may have, and they can all be a value add um, on a team. And it just gives you different perspectives on things. That's really interesting. And, and, and not only that, but the, those 10 universities that, that universities yeah. that employers recruit from, what employers are seeing 
the studies are showing that what employers see in U.S. graduates is that they don't have those soft skills that we talked about, you know, being comfortable in unfamiliar circumstances, you know, navigating unfamiliar circumstances, adaptability, you know, comfort with diversity, all of that. U.S. graduates aren't graduating with those skills. Yeah, I guess that that doesn't surprise me too much. Um, I think that that was one thing I, I did appreciate uh, with my program. It wasn't like I was just it was just me, the American, and a bunch of Austrians. We were it was probably, it was, I don't even know if there were any Austrians. There, there, one of my good friends is half Austrian. I think there's a couple of that. Um, there's a group of Hungarians, some people from Asia, people throughout yeah. Europe, um, a lot of people from the Balkans. Um, but it, yeah, it was a great melting pot. And being able to talk to other people and hear their stories from their countries was awesome because we tend to get, even just, I guess, from a personal point, like you, you tend to get only certain narratives through the news or whatever. But being able to talk to people was it was just great because you hear different things that you would never hear otherwise and able to understand people on a better level and in their countries as well and get their perspective on things and it was i and i've made some great friends i'll you know have with me for the rest of my life through that and uh, and i'm super thankful for it so i I think yeah and it all ties in i think to making a better employee i i think i'm you know all in all better off for doing it um than if i were not to of course do you feel like there were any obstacles you faced because you did have a degree from abroad? Um, possibly, um, maybe with things such yeah, may, maybe like the name recognition could have hurt for applying for some jobs. It's tough to tell. I, I keep an Excel sheet of like what um like where I, I was declined and accepted to, and I still have it because I use it. It's almost the chip on my shoulder. As <laughs> all the it, it's so weird where. It, of all, I applied to so many firms for intern, it was for internships going in the summer of 2020. And so many firms of different sizes and maybe industries or, or what have you. And arguably that probably the best role, the best position, the best company being this Deloitte program is the one that accepted me, but the other ones didn't. So I kind of don't know what to make of that. Right. Where it's like, maybe I suppose it could have been, oh, we haven't heard of this school, but then I have this position that I didn't think I would be in one of like a dream job for me. I'd always wanted to be in consulting and it, yet it's that that's the one that accepted. So I'm kind of, I don't worry about it too much right. uh, because I, I think I know it stood out. I, like I, like I said, I heard it from the mouth like of a partner who mm-hmm. said how cool it was. So it's like, okay, well this is ultimately what matters. Like I don't, you know, um, so I'm, I'm sure you're always going to encounter that. Um, there's schools that are on short lists versus aren't even in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, but ultimately, all in all, all it takes is one. Like it just to just to get your foot in the door. And as I've said, I've heard from so many people it's interesting, and I think that's a, a big thing. Like if you just got to pique someone's interest, because and then get on that phone interview, and then from there, it's all on you. And kill it there, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I really feel like the jobs and the companies that somebody who goes to school in Europe and comes back to the U.S. to work, the, the positions they want, the companies they want to work for are not companies that be like, you went where? You know, like that yeah. would, the companies that, that do find it interesting or do find it valuable, that's where you're going to want to be if you're somebody who is as internationally minded as you are or other students who, who stay yeah. outside their home country. That, that's a great point. I guess I hadn't considered that before, but definitely even when I was applying, I, I wanted a role that I would, be able to travel or work with people like to go abroad and it like, cause that's what I enjoy. And 
yeah, I, I wouldn't want to work for some company where it's, yeah, it's just more closed minded. It, it just wouldn't be a good culture fit um, probably anyway. So I think it, you know, you'll, you'll attract however you tend to, you're going to brand yourself is what companies are, you're going to attract who are looking for that, that brand of, of employee. And um, I think that someone who wants that more international focus going abroad, getting your, your uh, degree abroad is kind of a no brainer. Um, with rising tuition costs. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who my, my parents didn't, didn't go to college. They, they worked very hard and given me everything, but they didn't really plan and save, have a college fund. Um, and I wasn't going to do round two with this massive student loans. And then to get a position where I'm in now um, at Deloitte, like it, it's incredible. Um, kind, of a, kind of an arbitrage opportunity where I, you know, I, I left and then came, only paid like three grand in tuition and then got this uh, amazing position that I'm super thankful for, um, which even my, my family thought I was kind of crazy giving up a good job in Boston and like, what are you doing? And even like my, my family grew up, has been in the same neighborhood for like 70 years. My parents grew up on different ends of the same street, met in high school, everything. So I was the first, I was the crazy guy that was going off to Austria. And I just kept saying like, trust me, I know what I'm doing and this is going to work out. And then it did. And now I kind of get to hold it over all of them. Like you called me crazy, but look who was right. And they're like, yeah, you, you were <laughs> like, you, you were right. You knew what you were doing. And um, yeah, it all worked out. So you got your master's degree with no debt. You got a job with Deloitte, for heaven's sakes. I mean, it's like no small feat. And you're back near your family and friends, correct? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it is just like the dream situation, you know, yeah. you have this international experience. And what I find is that like, when you do something big like that, like, you know, we moved to Portugal and we're back here in North Carolina now. And we had originally planned to stay there for longer and things just didn't work out that way. But I feel like, and tell me if you relate, once you do something big, you know, you can again, you know, if oh, you yeah. want to go live in Singapore, you can, you have the confidence and the skills you need to do so. Yeah. The, the biggest thing was the residence permit. Um, mm -hmm. That's my advice to anyone would be, be on top of that and don't apply through the consulate in New York city. Do it when you get to Austria. Um, Cause that proved a big headache for me. Um, but navigating that in hindsight, maybe I should have hired a specialist to go through it with me, but I did it all on my own, um, mm -hmm. which was tough, very tough. Um, and I made some mistakes along the way and, you know, everything kind of worked out just in the nick of time, but yeah, you're right. Having done that, it kind of gives you, yeah, no fear. I guess like here I am, um, I mean, I'm, I'm 26, so getting older, I'm still a young man. Yeah. And, um, it's, you know, I know like, Hey, I can, I already moved abroad, did my own residence permit. Like there's kind of you yourself. Yeah. So there, there's really nothing I'm like concerned about with, I know I can just tackle whatever, you know, life stuff throws at me. That's awesome. And I have to tell you as the mother of a 20 year old boy, not yet 26 year old man, 20, that's my hope for him. My hope is that when he's 26, his knowledge of himself is such that he knows he can handle whatever it is that, that comes to him at life and, and pursue whatever goals he creates for himself in life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just really, yeah, going abroad and like being away from your family is the, the best way to do that. Um, it, it's, the, it's the little things that build you up. It's the messing up the train tickets, screwing up the residence permits. Like it, yeah, it's a lot of like the paperwork that kind of like, uh, I'm sure there's probably, there's probably some motivational quote, like it's a paperwork that makes the man or it's, right. it's mistakes that like make you grow. 
as a person. Um, yeah. And I, in coming back, I mean, I'm living back in my hometown now. So, which it's like, yeah, I, I've traveled a lot, but I still, I love where I grew up. And I love being around my family. And it, I'm able to view things in a different light and be more appreciative of it. Um, and it also, you know, it's something cool to talk about where a lot of my friends haven't done that opportunity. Uh, they've done something like that um, and have just stayed local. So um, it's really great. And I'd recommend it to anyone. It's something I'll certainly push my children to do one day uh, down the road. Well, Andrew, I really appreciate you talking to us today. I think you have um, really provided some great information for students who are thinking about doing this, for parents who are concerned that their kids will go to Europe and never come back. You know, um, it's, it's, it was great to talk to you and I, I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best and hope you'll uh, keep us posted. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So you probably know that we recently moved back to the U.S. after spending two years abroad. Though I hated commercials when we lived here before, I'm kind of enjoying them now. What I love are the rollback specials that car lots and the like have usually at the beginning of the year. They're just so cheesy and I love it. So we're offering a rollback special this month as well. We're rolling back our membership prices back to 2020 prices. So join now and lock in your monthly membership for just $49 a month for the life of your membership. So you keep saving month after month after month. This discount's available through the end of January, so act now to lock in your savings.